Kentucky basketball has a massive matchup this weekend against North Carolina in what could be the most entertaining game on the Wildcats schedule. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. You can download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first Purchase On today's episode of Locked on Kentucky, we are going to be previewing the Wildcats matchup with the North Carolina Tar Heels should be a massive showdown in Atlanta. Got some mixed feelings about it. Should be a very competitive game. Should be a very fast paced game. We talk with Isaac Shade of the Locked on Tar Heels podcast to kind of break this one down on today's episode. Really appreciate you guys making Locked on Kentucky your first listen every single day. Reminder, if you have not subscribed on YouTube or on podcast, to go ahead and do so. So, without further ado, here is our conversation with Isaac Shade. Folks, welcome in to a great crossover here on Locked On between Locked On Kentucky and Locked On Tar Heels. I am Isaac Shade, the host of Locked On Tar Heels, joined by the host of Locked On Kentucky, Mr. Lance Daw. He is the man. And uh, folks, anytime we get a blue bud, blue bud blattle, that's how I'm trying to say that blue blood battle, Lance, there we go. Uh, it is great for college basketball. And this is, by the way, a loaded weekend of college basketball, three top 15 AP matchups. We got uh, Arizona and Purdue on Friday night. We've got Gonzaga and UConn electric stuff. But the one that everyone's going to be one of checking in on is this battle where we've got number nine, North Carolina, number 14, Kentucky in Atlanta as the nightcap of the CBS Sports Classic, tipping off at 530 Eastern or 30 minutes after Ohio State and UCLA on CBS. We don't have the FanDuel line yet, but Ken Palm has it, North Carolina by two. Lance. This is the 43rd matchup between these two schools with the Tar Heels leading the all-time series. I wouldn't guess that 25 to 17, but how about this, my man? 26th meeting when both are ranked in the AP poll, 20th when they're both in the top 15. And I think that's what we expect from two blue blood programs, Uh, but it's just so good for the sport of college basketball. Yeah, I love it whenever we get to play matchups like this. And I think this is something that you and I talked about probably a couple of months ago or early before the season started about how awesome different things like this. And then also you have different things like the SEC. Now, SEC ACC challenge could be seeing some Tar Heel Wildcat action and that thing uh, moving forward. But I love it whenever we have high profile games like this early in the year. Obviously, Arizona Purdue this weekend is going to be another big one. You ran through Ohio State's matchup is going to be awesome. Love it, love it, love it. Whenever we get to see things like this, kind of helps us preview um, maybe some of these bigger games that you could possibly see uh, in the NCAA tournament. Just love seeing these non-con heavyweight battles, and you love seeing two blue bloods throw down here in the ATL. Should be a very fun contest. Like you mentioned, I'm surprised that North Carolina leads this all-time series, but yeah, been a very competitive series as of late, and Wildcats, actually, if I'm not mistaken, in this most recent one, Ran away with it, and I remember I had just started Locked on Kentucky (laughs) whenever that game 
uh, had had tipped off, and it was it was control from start to tip. It felt like on the offensive end of the floor. Kind of a shocker, though. I do not expect there to be a blowout one way or another in this one, though. Should be a much more competitive, very very fun game in Atlanta. Uh, what's funny, Lance, is that was about a month before I started Locked on Tar Heels, and so I did not have to cover that game. Uh, but yeah, I, I think drubbing is the word that I recall, 98 to 69. And it was just one of those games where Kentucky, I feel like if I remember correctly, hadn't really leaned into who they were yet, but it all yep. came together. And it was just like, oh, here's all this ridiculous basketball talent coming together. And in fact, the Wildcats have won two out of the last three, all of which have been in the CBS Sports Classic. Um, Lance, I look fondly back on the 2016-17 season um, because we did get two epic matchups between these two teams each team winning one there was that insane 103-100 game in Vegas yep. where Malik Monk had approximately 85,000 points if I <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he went ballistic in that Dude. one unfortunately not the same in the Elite Eight yeah and th yeah that was weird is because um, he just didn't have that same level of production in the Elite Eight game um, the one, obviously, that Carolina won on the Luke May shot. And so uh, just two phenomenal games we had that season. I would love to. I love it when we get that, like a, a regular season matchup and one in postseason, because, again, that's good for the sport of college basketball. Um, Lance, as we start to look forward to this game on Saturday, here's what I feel like bo both these teams are similar in terms of who they are and what they're doing and where they're at. Like, here's an example of what I mean by that. It feels like they're both extremely talented, but not quite in that top eight, like elite level teams that we're seeing. Like Carolina played UConn last week, and it was clear that the Tar Heels are not on the same level right now with the Huskies. But both these teams have the talent. Um, do you agree with that assessment as you look at it from the Kentucky side? And what do the Wildcats need to do to, to break that glass ceiling? Yeah, I think both of these teams have the, you talk about ceiling, they have the ability to play and compete with these really, really good teams that you're seeing right now. Houston, Arizona, Purdue, UConn, like you mentioned, the 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 upper echelon of college basketball right now. They have the ability to do that. They have the talent on roster. But I don't think you've seen the consistency uh, that you would have liked to have seen coming out the gates here, especially from watching Kentucky right now because of, I think, for the Wildcats specifically, their lack of experience. Obviously, they've got Antonio Reeves. Obviously, they've got Trey Mitchell. But outside of that, they're dealing with some very, very young players that are being thrown into the fire. One of them most recently in his second game uh, playing against Penn. Uh, so you've got a lot of things that you need to kind of work on, mature, grow, develop, whatever word you want to use there. They've got to figure things out. And so you saw the loss to UNC Wilmington as a huge, huge issue with Kentucky's resume now moving forward. And you get to see bumps in the road like that. And I think that's what separates Kentucky from this top eight right now is the consistency. With, with Carolina, you can speak to this better than I can, but you are playing very well overall and different in different areas right now. You beat a couple of really good teams. Uh, Arkansas, uh, while they were ranked, you were able to tackle them. You were able to get a win uh, to start at ACC play against Florida State. You lose that game to UConn, and it's just kind of a, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it is just kind of like, okay, this is the status of UNC and UK right now compared to a team like UConn. And it's just a very, very good group of teams. And then Kentucky and UNC right there, I think you said this before we started recording, just kind of knocking on the door, yeah. waiting to show some more consistency and maybe get a victory over one of those teams.
Yeah, it's funny, Lance, because what you said about Kentucky, it it parallels to North Carolina, but it's not because of youth. It's because of newness. Um, mm. The Tar Heels have four returning scholarship players, two freshmen, and five transfers. So seven of your 11 scholarship players are brand new to the program this year. And so mm. it, it's similar, again, but, but a, a nuanced reason why this team is still trying to figure out a little bit of its identity, you know, whether it's like... It, um, RJ Davis right now is playing out of his mind, um, doing things that have only been done a couple times in Carolina history in terms of uh, four straight 25 plus point games, 33 straight free throws, things like that. But then you're figuring out, like, what do we have in Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer? Yeah. Uh, what do we have? Cormac Ryan, the Notre Dame transfer, hasn't really been consistent from three and things like that, that the Tar Heels are still trying to find that identity in a similar way to, to Kentucky. Um, and, and as you look at it, Lance, I think both of these teams are super fun. When when we look at some of those parallels we were talking about earlier, they are both elite offensive teams. Right now, as we record this at Ken Palm, Kentucky is 14th in offensive efficiency, Carolina 7th. But they're both good, not great on the defense, where Kentucky's uh, 53rd in defensive efficiency and Carolina's 48th. And so this this legitimately might resemble that 103-100 game in Vegas from back in uh, December of 2016. Yeah, absolutely. And and you could see, I think, in this one, are we going to see 100 points scored between the for for these two teams individually? Maybe not, but I think that you'll get close. And then also the pacing of this one, I think is going to be just incredibly fast. I want to kind of go ahead and break this down, dive into these two teams individually, you know, what kind of what we see out of the individual players, uh, maybe talk a little bit more about the numbers here and just how similar uh, these two teams are. Before we dive into that, though, guys, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Game Time. We are just over a week away from Christmas, and if you need a last-minute gift idea, like maybe uh, tickets to the upcoming North Carolina Kentucky game. Oh, Lance, good thank news. you. That's what I wanted for Christmas. How'd you know? <laughs> exactly. You know what? It's what I wanted for Christmas as well. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, you can head over to Game Time and they can help you out. They are the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sporting events in your area. They've also got music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and then their best price guarantee. They take the guesswork out of buying tickets. You shouldn't have to worry whenever you're going to buy tickets to your next big event. And thankfully, Game Time has you covered. They also have deals all the way up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. So if you are trying to get some last-minute tickets, if you're hanging out in the ATL and you want to go watch this game, you can do that with Game Time. You can download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, continuing along here on this Locked On crossover, Lance Dahl, Isaac Shade, Locked On Tar Heels, Locked On Kentucky podcast. Isaac, I actually do kind of want to dive into the UNC Tar Heels a little bit. You talked there for a moment about RJ Davis currently averaging 21 points per game uh, for the Tar Heels, just a really special score. Kind of break down for me the strengths of this UNC offense, because like we mentioned, both UK and UNC very similar in what they like to do. What does this what makes this Tar Heel offense go and what's been a success for them so far this season? That's a great question. Lance, I think first thing we need to say is for those who haven't seen Carolina in the Hubert Davis era, do not think of a Roy Williams 
style offense where you've got the traditional two bigs, a wing, a point guard, and a shooting guard. They have modernized, similar to what you know we're seeing Kentucky launch more threes now this year. Uh, that is more Carolina's offense under Coach Davis spacing all around Armando Baycott on the interior. Um, interestingly, uh, it's been Caleb Love and R.J. Davis in the backcourt the past several years. Caleb Love has transferred over to Arizona where he's doing just well for himself, thank you very much. But what's interesting is it's kind of unlocked R.J. Davis to not feel like, am I the guy? Am I sharing the backcourt? What's going on? Yep. He is really leaning into that two-guard role where freshman Elliot Cadeau comes in as a true pass-first point guard and is acting in that distribution sort of role um, that, that allows R.J. Davis to be freed up to score. Now, R.J. is an undersized guard. He's about six feet tall. He can light it up from three. As I said a minute ago, he has 33 straight made free throws right now, the leading free throw shooter by percentage in Carolina history. So he's looking to get to the rim or shoot from outside. He's really good in the mid-range, even though it's so an incredibly inefficient shot. But what that does with that spacing is it allows space for Armando Baycott in the interior. Yeah. Um, typically, Baycott does well if he's playing somebody like a Trey Mitchell where he doesn't have that uh, elite NBA type length. That's one of the problems I potentially see with Aaron Bradshaw getting back into the mix if he's guarding Baycott is he'll sometimes struggle with length like against Donovan Klingon from UConn, for example. One of the wrinkles Carolina has found recently is utilizing Harrison Ingram in some isolation on a wing or uh, being able to back down his opponent. Uh, it's nice because he doesn't need um, an entry pass. He can just go from ball handling back down in the paint and either kick out or score in the lane. And so um, that's kind of the three-headed monster of it is those guys. Um, and then you got Cormac Ryan on the wing as well. And again, with Elliot Cadeau distributing. Yeah, it's a very, very talented group of Tar Heels that know how to score. And if you go and look on Kim Palm right now, you'll see if you go down to the point distribution, this is something that I've loved to break down whenever looking at Kentucky's opponents this season. You look at free throws, and the Tar Heels get about 25% of their points right. from the foul line. That's top 20 nationally, and that's very, very good. You look at that Tennessee game, 192. If I'm not mistaken, Isaac, Y'all were able to get to the foul line quite a bit in that one, actually 38 times, yeah. and yeah. you knocked down 32 free throws. Is that just simply a part of this offense is focusing on getting to the rim, trying to draw some of these fouls, or has it been uh, major uh, the majority of these points? Has it been kind of just by happenstance? No, that that is a, an, an, an intentional part of the offense. One of the things that Coach Hubert Davis says is that he wants – to make more free throws than his opponents take. And Carolina um, has done that. I don't have the stat, the, the actual numbers of it pulled up in front of me right now, but that has been very much a thing that was never more true than, as you said, in that Tennessee game, same in the game after that with Florida State. Carolina was at the line a ton. And part of that is they're not sending their opponents to the free throw line all that much. They're doing a decent, not elite job of, of fouling, uh, of staying away from fouling. And so, yes, very much so. Part of that, as I said, is RJ Davis is the number one free throw shooter in Carolina history by percentage. Cormac Ryan is also above 90% right now. And part of that revelation is that Armando Baycott, who is a career sub 70% free throw shooter, is above 80% this year. And he's your guy, the guy that's at the line the most. And so it's like he doesn't get played off the court at the end of a game. 
You talked about Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer for you guys. He's somebody that I'm looking at that could potentially be a matchup problem for the Wildcats because we can discuss it a little bit about how rotationally Kentucky's going to want to attack UNC. But right now, it should be a Duthiero starting at the four uh, for the Wildcats, listed at six foot eight. Uh, I think that physically, when you look at Harrison Ingram, he's probably got an edge over both Bradshaw and Fierro. The height advantage would go to Kentucky whenever they want to rotate Bradshaw in. But Bradshaw is 225 at best. Harrison Ingram is 230, 235, a little bit more physical, a little bit more muscular. How do you see the Tar Heels utilizing Harrison Ingram in this one? Is there going to be anything different that they may try and do with those two guys guarding him? Or do you think they're just going to utilize him the way that they have previously? I think if they if the coaching staff believes that they have that physical advantage that you're talking about over Thiero, or even if Bradshaw gets switched on him, then they'll go to it. Um, it's coach, coach Davis has really kind of employed this NBA thought process of let let's find something exploited until you stop it. And so, for example, against um, Arkansas, Carolina went to Ingram over and over and over. And he consistently made the right decisions of when to call his own number, when to kick out, when to swing it. Um, and, and that's part of what made it work well. Um, what you don't want to see is that causing Carolina to get away from getting it into Baycott, get away from allowing Elliot Cadeau to be a playmaker, for example. And so there is a balance to it, but um, Harrison Ingram has that ability to rebound and run. He can lead the break himself, which is important with what he's going to be able to do, um, but also not afraid to distribute. And so if that does turn out, I think they'll certainly try it. And if it is successful, I see no reason why they wouldn't stick with it. Final question I've got for you here. You know, it's something that you see throughout the the, uh, the December slate for a majority of teams is just the spacing uh, mm -hmm. between these games that you see uh, with finals and then with the holiday you look at North Carolina right now on their schedule, they have not played a game since December 5th, whenever they lost to UConn and Kentucky not played a game since last weekend against Penn. Uh, what do you think about the rust heading into this matchup? Will there be any of that? Will, will there be any kind of, you know, inconsistencies here to start the game? Uh, how, how should the, how should the Tar Heels come out in this one? Lance, I talked about this exact thing on yesterday's locked on Tar Heels um, that in, in some regard, there is a win in it. Cormac Ryan's ankle has been banged up. He rolled it pretty badly in the second game of battle for Atlantis against Villanova. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, you know, you're, you're getting healed up. RJ Davis being a little undersized. He's always banged up. That's a good thing. But there will be rust for the Tar Heels. We see this every year with teams coming out of finals week. Whereas Kentucky, if I remember, it will have been like a week to the day since they've played last Saturday against Penn by the time this game tips off. And so, yeah, I expect there's some to be some rust for Carolina. You know, it, a lot of that's going to depend on how much they've been individually doing, how they've been eating. Uh, where's the conditioning level at? Does it take four minutes to get into game shape? And if so, with a team of Kentucky's talent, you could be finding yourself in a 16 to four deficit by the time you're going, if you're not ready. And so I, th I think we need to all watch. One of the things I'm critically going to be watching for is that first four minute stretch before the under 16 media timeout. Yeah, I think it's going to be important that both these teams wake up and shape up because it's going to be, <laughs> like we said, we expect it to be a fast paced, high scoring contest. And, and both these teams certainly have the ability to put it in the hole, but uh, whether or not we're going to be able to see them get to get to up to speed very quickly uh, is going to be something to watch here. 
Speaking of getting up to speed, Lance, this Kentucky backcourt is something to behold. I cannot wait to watch these two teams in action. Uh, we're going to flip the script, and I'm going to talk to Lance about Big Blue Nation and the Wildcats in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked On Tar Heels and Locked On Kentucky is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Look, testing your skills on Prize Picks this season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. And then they've got quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types to make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. It's just you against the numbers. You pick more or less on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Lance, I thought we could all come around this together. Lamar Jackson, his passing yards for Sunday against the Jags is set at 210 and a half. This is a former UK rival. It's a Carolina conference foe. Folks, let's all unite, take the less on this, and then hate watch this game as the Ravens hopefully fall and Lamar doesn't get to 210 and a half. You know what? I'm all in on this one. And I absolutely love this. And I'm looking at it right now on prize picks. I may submit this entry before the ad read is over. That's how quickly I can do it right now. I love it. Let's Tar Heels Wildcats unite. Let's get it. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100 prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Lance, I think one of the things that um, outsiders looking in at Kentucky this year might, might be remembering is the turbulent and tumultuous off season for the Wildcats, where it hung in the balance for a long time of what this team would have outside of this loaded freshman class. Eventually, we know that Antonio Reeves did decide to come back. We know that thanks to the Bob Huggins debacle at West Virginia, they ultimately landed Trey Mitchell. What has getting those two veteran players back and in, in particular, meant for John Cowell's team this season? Well, we'll start here with Trey Mitchell, the guy that was not here a season ago. This is someone I discussed on yesterday's episode as maybe one of the, if not the most valuable piece <laughs> on this Kentucky team. Because Trey Mitchell, while he is not the tallest center in the world, while he is not the most physically imposing, while he's not the best defender, he is a massive part of what makes this offense go because he is a very, very good uh, passing big, averaging almost four assists per game for UK. You watch the way this thing works for him. He has had every single game this season. He's finished with more assists than turnovers, wow. and he's been able to decisively pick and choose his spots, whether it be score himself, whether it be kick the ball out for a shooter, whether it be handle the ball at the top of the key, he can do all of these different things for UK. And it's almost like a guy that, that has traditionally played power forward for most of his career that can handle a ball that can shoot, a, shoot it a little bit. And you're just asking him to play a small ball five. Now, Trey Mitchell has rotated between those two positions throughout his career, but you're really getting to see him blossom as that five with now Aaron Bradshaw beside him at the four position, who is going to be consistently a recipient of Trey Mitchell passes for the future. So Mitchell can get up and down the floor with this offense. He is definitely comfortable running the breakneck pace that Kentucky has. He's been a very good trailer as well, shooting, uh, shooting threes at the top at different points this season against various opponents. He can pass, he can shoot, he can rebound. Um, he, he can do literally everything uh, for this team. So Trey Mitchell has been an extremely valuable part 
of this offense. And then you look at Antonio Reeves, you know, something that I criticized him for last year was his lack of consistency shooting the basketball because there would be nights where uh, where Reeves just went ballistic. I mean, you just it did not matter where he was, where he was shooting from. The ball was going in and there was literally nothing that you could do about it. And yeah. then you had performances like the one in the NCAA tournament against yep. Kansas State where yep. it's just like it was it Dion Waiters that said that quote is like, I don't care if I'm going over 30, I'm still going to keep shooting. It kind of felt like that with Antonio Reeves where it's like I'm fogging them up, boys. Uh, well, one of them's going to hit and, and none of them did. Uh, and then we saw earlier this season, I can't remember what game it was early, but he did not shoot. Uh, it was the Kansas game. He did not shoot particularly well. Yep. And I had to have a conversation. Like, okay, is this the Antonio Reeves that we're going to see throughout the year? Because if it is, thank goodness Kentucky's got three other guards that they can rely on because it's not just going to be the Antonio Reeves show. And ever since then, he has really come together and he has been a consistent guard. Now, it is still early in the season, and we're going to have to see how he survives SEC play. But right now, Antonio Reeves leads the team in scoring at 18 points per game. He's shooting 43% from deep and 51% from the floor. I've seen him, him do a lot of different things outside of just being somebody that can knock down that three-point shot. He can drive and finish. That's something that's really impressed me. It really impressed me in the Global Jam, his ability to go and drive and finish at the hole. He's got a really nice floater game where if you get him on that block, he's going to throw one up and he's going to knock it down. I've yet to see him miss a floater where he's gotten in rhythm on the block this season. He's a very good multifaceted scorer that can do a lot of different things with the basketball in his hands. Not a distributor, a better rebounder than he was a season ago, but that scoring, man, if it can be consistent, you love Antonio Reeves, especially in a game like this. And uh, we expect to see he and probably Cormac Ryan being the ones guarding each other there in yep. the starting lineup. Uh, Lance, let's stick in the backcourt because that this has been one of my favorite stories across the entire college basketball landscape this season is Kentucky's backcourt. I think coming into the season, those who were up to speed on the recruiting class expected it to be Rob Dillingham and DJ Wagner. And then Reed Shepard might get some minutes here or there. Well, we started to see it this summer. You talked about the Global Jam where it was like, oh, Reed Shepard might have a role on this team. It, it, from the outside looking in, Lance, correct me if I'm wrong. DJ has not lived up to the billing and Reed Shepard has far out, out uh, exceeded any expectations we could have had for him. Is popping up in lottery spots on the mock drafts. And it's so cool because he is Kentucky royalty, where uh, his dad is one of my first memories of Kentucky basketball with Jeff Shepard. And so what a cool story this is, Lance. Bring us into the Kentucky side of it. I'll say this. You talk about DJ Wagner. Every one of Kentucky's guards does something does something well. Wagner just simply has not been able to shoot the ball well to begin the season. And he mm -hmm. has been outperformed by Reed Shepard. And I hate to be somebody that whenever you ask me about a player, I just simply go and read their stats. But for Reed Shepard, I, I need to read you his stats across the board. So like you mentioned, we weren't expecting a ton of him in the spring. We get to see him during the Global Jam in July. Hey, we may actually get to see Reed Shepard be a legitimate piece of this team. And then as the offseason progressed and we saw the season start, Reed Shepard went just ballistic efficiency-wise. Look at these numbers. He's averaging 13 points in 20, uh, 26 and a half minutes, right? 13 points to go along with four and a half rebounds, four assists, three steals, a block a game while shooting 61% from the floor, 92% from the foul line, and 59% from three. That 
So is, those numbers are good? Is, is that what <laughs> My sources are telling me the math department at Locked On Kentucky came to me yesterday and said, hey, these are pretty good numbers. You should talk about him a little bit more. But yeah, I, I am blown away with how Reed Shepard has played so far this season. And it's not just the offense. Like you see there, three steals a game. He is a really good on-ball defender. Very, very, very good on-ball defender. He sees the court well whenever he's playing point guard. He's a great off-ball shooter in catch-and-shoot situations. We got to see him hurt Miami pretty badly uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He has done a little bit of everything for Kentucky. And statistically, it just boggles my mind that he has been as good as he has been through these first nine games of the season. And I continue to tell my subscribers, the statistics, the efficiency, it's going to go down. It has to go down. There is no world where he finishes the season shooting 60% from three and averaging 13 points a game. It's not going to happen. But he is going to continue to be a very good player for the Wildcats and somebody that they arguably rely on heavily during conference play because of how consistent he is. So Reed Shepard right now, it's been a phenomenal story that he's been able to come out and play this well. It's awesome to see Kentucky or during games them continue to pan to the crowd to see the shepherd, uh, the, the shepherds uh, get so excited for their son Jeff Shepherd. Usually, just kind of like, like just no, no emotion, but he's there, he's celebrating. Um, I, I, I love the story. I love the hype. I love the fact that fans can, they have a player that they feel like they can attach to and they can really get excited about because over these past few years, you know, Kentucky's had the Sheepways, they've had the Foxes, they've had the Monks, but there was a stretch there, about a three-year stretch where Kentucky. Didn't really feel like they had like that that hometown kid or that fan favorite, and you're getting to see that I think absolutely. And Reed Shepard, who is uh, I I have to eat my words because I said at the beginning of the season he's lottery pick potential. He has that talent, but we're not going to see him. We're not, he's not going to get enough opportunities to actually display it this year. But Reed Shepard could be a lottery pick. He could very well be a lottery pick, and the mocks are reflecting it. So love, love, love Reed Shepard. Lance, we got to get to some predictions for this thing, but on, on the injury side of things, obviously it's so great that Aaron Bradshaw is back. We never want these young men out. It's good to see Ugana Onyenso getting close. We sounds like we might see him on Saturday as we record this. Lance and I were talking about it beforehand. We're, we're not sure yet. There's nothing official out, so we'll keep our eyes out on that. That'd be massive to get him, uh, literally massive, to get him back available in the front court. Uh, Lance, again, uh, Ken Palm has this game, North Carolina by 285 to 83. What is your prediction for it? I think that both these teams have very fun offenses. If we're going to, if we're, if we're just going to be really simple here for a second, uh, <laughs> offense, good defense. Eh. Um, both these teams have some interesting pieces. They will run up and down the court. They will try and score in a variety of ways. But I think when you look at, again, I've said this probably a hundred times already on this recording consistency. And I don't know if I trust Kentucky in this spot after losing to UNC Wilmington. That game has kind of hurt me. And you got to see against Penn some more issues. Penn only scored 66 points. But you go and watch that game. Their ability to consistently drive, get to the rim, find these backdoor cuts. Kentucky not closing out on shooters. That allowed Penn to kind of allow the Quakers to kind of get back in that game after Kentucky built a lead multiple times. I'm scared that you're not going to be able to hold on against a team like North Carolina who has that talent, who has the ability to hurt you at the foul line. This is not a lengthy rotation that Kentucky has, especially if Hugo does not play. Down low, you could see Kentucky get into some foul trouble here if they're not careful. 
I'm going to take North Carolina to win this game by maybe one or two or three points. I, I, I've told, I told my subscribers literally two weeks ago, hey, by the way, unless something changes, I'm picking UNC to win this game. I don't feel good about the spot, and I just don't see Kentucky finding that consistency like they did against Miami. If they do, if they do, great. And I will more than willingly eat my words, I, but I want to see this team try and play a little defense or at the very least just have another insanely dominant offensive game, which it, it, it is possible. And I think that's where the Carolina side of things is at is probably there's this fear and trepidation of, yes, Kentucky hasn't been consistent, but we've seen it when the lights come on in these yeah. moments where Kentucky's talent just says, all right, it's time, here we go, and the Wildcats boat race this thing. So I think there is a very real world in which that's a possibility, particularly if Carolina comes out with that rust as a potential that we've talked about, Lance. Uh, ultimately, though, I do see the more experienced Carolina team doing exactly what you said and winning a close one utilizing the free throw line as we talked about down the stretch to do it with rj davis closing this thing out from the line give me carolina by two just like ken palm has it lance cannot wait for this game best of luck to the wildcats best of luck to the tar heels somebody's gonna come out in better shape heading into conference slate and getting ready for christmas absolutely should be a thriller all right, that was our conversation with Isaac Shade of the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, also the co-host of the Locked On College Basketball podcast. Go give him a sub over at Locked On College Basketball and Locked On Tar Heels. Does a great job over there with Andy Patton uh, covering all different things going on in the college basketball world. Love this conversation. This game's going to be interesting. Let me know what you think about it in the YouTube comments below. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore. And you can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the comments below. Hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Have a great rest of your day and God bless.